You're listening to Teachers Talk Radio with Tom Hopkins Burke. Your show will begin shortly. Tune in, talk it out. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Nottingham, this is The Late Show with Tom Hopkins Burke. Good evening and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. My name is Tom Hopkins Burke. I'm in Nottingham and it is the Late Late Show. It's a show so good they named it twice. Tonight we're talking about career development studies. We're talking about careers education in schools. What is the situation? Where are we? What are the strengths? Where are the areas of development? What's changed? I want to hear from you tonight. So I want to hear from you. Call in and text in. We are live. Live from Nottingham, this is The Late Show with Tom Hopkins Burke on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. A very good evening and welcome to the Late Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio this Friday the 25th of February. My name is indeed Tom Hopkins Burke. I will be taking you through the next 60 minutes here on the airwaves. Now, of course, I don't just want it to be my voice, I want it to be yours too. So how can you get involved tonight? You can call in, you can talk with me directly, you can text in your thoughts below in the Podbean Live studio, or if you're listening back, you can tweet us at TT Radio 2022 using the hashtag TT Radio. We're on other forms of social media as well as Twitter. We are on LinkedIn as Teachers Talk Radio. We're on Instagram, I believe, as TT Radio 2022. If you are a first-time listener to Teachers Talk Radio, tonight then a special welcome to you i hope you enjoy the evening i hope you get stuck into our discussions whether you're calling in texting, texting in, in. And, and i've got some lovely echo which means somebody hasn't got their headphones um, and i hope you come back again tomorrow and in other days as well um, what's it that we're going to be talking about tonight well tonight we're talking about careers education in schools with two very special guests i believe they're in the studio i can't tell who's who because they haven't changed their names um so before they change their names i'm going to introduce you to them first of all we have leanne hamley leanne is the co-author of creative career coaching um she's a university lecturer in career development studies she's a qualified teacher and a former careers advisor in schools now last year leanne was awarded a fellowship of the career development institute in recognition of her contribution to the field she's also the creator of career navigator which is a resource reflecting the metaphor of a winding road and the career management competencies that people need to navigate the modern career landscape. I'm sure we're going to hear about that later. Um, Alongside Leanne, we're also joined by Susan Smith. Susan is from All Things Careers, and she runs the Degree Apprenticeship Academy for ambitious sick formers who want a degree in a professional career without having to go to university. She spent the last 25 years working in universities and schools to successfully support students in their career planning. So we have two fantastic experienced guests in the world of careers education and career development. And what a privilege it is for us to hear from them. So if you are listening live, please give a warm welcome to Leanne and to Susan. And we're going to hear from them after his musical interlude.
Right, now let's see who we've got. Leanne, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Tom? I can hear you loud and clear. And have we got now. Susan as well? <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom. How are you? Susan's I'm, here. I'm very well, Susan. How are you? I'm very well. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for giving up an hour of your Friday night when most sensible and sane people would be in bed, actually. Um, so let's start with Leanne, shall we? Why should, why should schools care about careers? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewing a, a senior school leader, asking them that question, and her answer was simply, it's a no-brainer as to why they invest in careers. Uh, but behind that, there does have to be a good argument because schools keep getting told to invest in this and invest in that, and usually without any additional funds. So... Thankfully, we have a very sound argument, and it's backed by a lot of national and international evidence. Uh, we know that it increases educational attainment and engagement. Now, that sounds a bit of a, a sort of a, a strap line. So how do we do that? Well, it's very motivational. Motivation is individual, and we aim to nurse that motivation. Uh, what will help people feel irrelevant to their study, planning for their future, feel positive, and put the effort in. Longer term, we know it increases satisfaction with whatever they choose, and it decreases dropout, so it leads to more sustainable outcomes. Uh, and I know Susan probably is a bit to say that, I mean, they're the good reasons, and then obviously there's the pressure from Ofsted as well. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I've been talking about Ofsted. Susan, what have, you, what have you got to add on that, especially around sort of the current influences surrounding Ofsted inspections? We're going to talk about the Baker Clause later as well. Over to you, Susan. Well, it's just, it's delightful to be here talking about careers and you'll find Leanne and I will talk for hours on careers. We've only got one hour. Well, and, and to all the teachers listening in, can I just explain, first of all, that Leanne and I completely and utterly get it. It's, it's pretty much the strap line for most of things at the moment, give more with less resources and less time. So we do understand that. But with Ofsted, um, everything is converging to be pushed into um, performance-related measures. So what Ofsted are saying is they want to understand what the progression is, looking at the curriculum, but now since they've divided it into these um, different categories, it makes it easier for them to look at how students are actually personally developing through their curriculum. So what that means for you is that as you're being asked to look at careers, it's not just something that's added on anymore. It's, it needs to be inherent within the whole system. And, you know, what Ofsted are saying is, yes, um, you know, we, we want to understand um, how students are progressing, but they're looking at your intent. They're looking at your impact, uh, your implementation and your impact. So careers are no longer something that happens out with the curriculum. It's built in as a curriculum subject. So we're going to be touching on the Baker Clause, but essentially what it's really saying is that no matter what's happening, um, Ofsted are going to be looking for evidence that senior leaders know what careers programs happening, that pupils that they talk to in the corridor can tell them what employers they've met with, that they can understand. They might even ask them, so have you got some good ideas for when you leave school? Oh, yes. Well, we covered that in this class. Um, there's lots going on in the white paper for jobs. The government are not leaving this anymore. Technical education, 
access to other training providers have become critical. And there are a number of musts. So we know that schools are under pressure, but the musts are um, a visible careers programme, a named careers leader. But increasingly now, a new amendment, governors are backing this. Governors now have responsibility to ensure that arrangements are in place, not just a little nod on a website, but arrangements are in place to allow education and training providers in. Um, schools must ensure that every student gets an independent careers appointment with a professional, not just a teacher who's been tasked with careers, and that schools are still working towards these compulsory um, eight Gatsby benchmarks. Well, yeah, definitely. We'll come on to those as well. It sounds like schools have got quite a lot on their plate then when it comes to careers, and we'll be talking about what has changed policy-wise in careers education in the last 20 years or so. I just wanted to look at a tweet which came in when I announced I was doing this show a couple of days ago. Um, I, it's from one of my colleagues on the radio, actually, Nathan, and he says, I'm really not a fan of trying to make subjects apply to jobs, as in, you'll need geography because... dot dot dot. I think some things are just cool to learn and some things are gateway qualifications let vocational qualifications be vocational and the others be what they are now leanne and i spoke about this earlier before the show um your thoughts on that please leanne yeah um well it kind of reflects apologies nathan but it kind of reflects a misunderstanding of what careers is actually about i'm thinking it's just about jobs and about paid work it's actually about life and it's about your journey through learning work and both formal and informal. So really, if you're looking at careers across the curriculum, it's about what we call career management skills and employability skills, decision-making, teamwork, creativity, looking at how you help them develop adaptability, resilience, curiosity. But what's really funny, I think you told me sort of um, geography, you mentioned geography. Hmm. And the other day I was interviewing a young person who, uh, she said, I wanna make a difference uh, in what I do. So I showed her the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And she said, oh, yeah, we've seen those. We covered them in geography. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like in geography for that teacher to say, right, here's the UN Sustainable Development Goals. What world problems would you like to be involved in tackling that career's work? Uh, so it's, been, it's not just jobs. <laughs> mm. you, know, I mean, you make a very important point there um, in terms of sort of the curriculum linked within subjects. Ultimately, the situation at the moment, we've offset with schools, with in terms of teaching and learning and pedagogy in particular, um, is that at the moment, the current prevailing trend is all about knowledge. It's all about powerful knowledge and skills have sort of taken a bit of a backside not a backside, a backseat indeed. Um, skills have sort of taken a bit of a backseat um, because the big focus at the moment is all about what students, well, students need to know more, remember more and then do more, but the focus is on their knowledge. Um, Leanne, think going back to you again, it sounds like from a career development perspective and from your perspective, and we'll hear from Susan as well, it sounds as if this is sort of, is this conflicting at all? Oh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's so much knowledge at our fingertips now, sort of through the web, um, but it's what do we do with it? How do we make sense of it? How do I apply it to myself? Um, and then you have the, you know, if you think, what am I going to do with it? You're going to need problem solving skills. You're going to be able to need to reflect about yourself and what it means to you. It's a much more holistic view about knowledge. It has its part to play. Um, 
but definitely in terms of careers, we, we talk much more about information management skills, that they've got research skills, information processing skills, um, so they can keep on learning, a love of learning. Um, and as I said, seeing the point of it in their life. So it's a much broader application. Um, and some people think careers is just about knowledge, knowledge of work and labour market. That's a part of it. But uh, without the rest, without the self-clarity, the hope, the motivation, the mindset, it doesn't really work on its own. Mm-hmm. And Susan, anything you want to add to Leanne's points there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at the entrepreneurship agenda, you know, we want a much more um, creative and agile workforce. And certainly my work in schools, you know, there have been a couple of careers appointments where a students had to say, can I nip out for five minutes because they're ending a bid on eBay for a pair of trainers that they're going to be flogging on for a higher price. Absolutely love it. I'm like, sure, because... Students are <clears throat> tapping into the way that work and online learning is happening. And yes, there's knowledge, but it's about those other skills. And it's a massive agenda in the higher education system as well, where, you know, lecturers are saying, well, my students here to study Greek for Greek's sake. And, and you're saying, well, no, they're here to study Greek and, and develop, but actually they want to move into employment at the end of it. There's, there's a lot of hidden skills going on that the employers want. So our challenge within the education system um, is to, to meet these demands from government that are quite clear about we want students to get their grades in maths and English. We want them to have this knowledge in a subject. But equally, we need students to be reflecting on what they're getting out of each of these situations because they have to tell their story as they move forward. They have to make decisions for themselves about where their strengths lie and what they look like at their best. So knowledge but underpinning understanding the skill development that's happening in the background is also a really great way of motivating yourself to see the point of why you're studying Pythagoras theorem (laughs) because Mm. you know lots of students will tell you I've never touched my math since I left school but what they're not understanding is all those problem solving and you know resilient skills they're getting and actually they're using them every day. Thank you for that yeah no really interesting um so in terms of careers education policy wise what's the current state of play and what's changed in say the last 15 20 years if I could start with Leanne on that one please well I'll tell you what Tom I'll do the history bit (laughs) because I've been around now for 30 years so um, and then uh, Susan can take over the current state of play Um, Mm -hmm. and it's funny because say 30 years ago I was a careers advisor local authority funded and I know you've only asked me about 20 years so I'm going a little <laughs> um, I was uh, employed by a career by a local authority and then by a careers company, and then we had a nationally funded system, um, and so all schools had access to free career guidance. And I'd act as a consultant, working with the careers coordinator. We plan the program. Um, I deliver group sessions, see young people in all years, not just one-off. Um, then came a change in policy, and connections came about. Now, this was in the early 2000s. It was still a nationally funded uh, provision, but it did focus on the young people more at risk. So there were complaints from schools that they'd lost um, some of the services, the more universal services. Uh, but at least it was there, and it was free, um, and there was some excellent work uh, going on. Uh, but then we had the public spending cuts under the coalition government. And then the careers element of the connection service was dismantled. And schools then 
it was devolved to them, but they had no funding. So, to, you know, 2012, it's like schools, it's now your responsibility, but hey, you've got no money. Um, so that's, that's really the issue. It's become quite marketized, and so it's very patchy, um, and provision is very patchy depending on how much schools invest in it. And I would say just before Susan takes over, it's very different in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Uh, there they still have an all-age funded careers company providing mm. personal guidance. And they've got award-winning websites. You know, it's, it's great. Yeah, I, I think yeah, there's a very valid point there at the end about ensuring that actually we're not talking about sort of the British system with devolution etc and actually that we focus on the four nations absolutely um just a reminder um if you're listening live you can of course interact with the show you can share the live show um you can like it there's a um there's a heart down in the bottom right of your screen which you can press to show that you like the show and i'm always very grateful to people who do like the show um you can text in as well you can input your message at the bottom of your screen if you agree or disagree or want to add to anything which um, leanne and susan are saying um susan um so leanne's given us the history mm. what's the current state of play um i think um leanne has summed it up nicely it's patchy at best <laughs> And I think the what's happened is that the government are starting to realise, okay, maybe we got that wrong. And so they're putting in central systems to support careers, education and guidance in schools. So you've got the Careers and Enterprise Company that has been formed and it's the national body for careers, education in schools. Um, you've got the National Career Service, which... Um, is really kind of meant to be the one one stop shop for careers information, labour market information. Um, you know, you've got other things like the Gatsby benchmarks, which are being heralded as the central thing that schools should be aiming for. But there isn't actually any provision of qualified careers professionals per se. So what they're saying to schools is we want you to have a named careers leader. We want senior leadership teams in your schools to have responsibility for careers. We want the governing body now to make sure that it's actually happening and routes are being opened up and access has been given. We recommend um, that whoever is delivering one-to-one -one personal guidance is a trained and qualified careers advisor. And, um, and, and you know, and they're asking schools to buy in that service. Um, there, there is also the opportunity now to undertake careers leader training. And I'm very glad to say that that is being centrally funded. So teachers who are kind of concerned about this new careers element or may have been approached about it, you're not on your own. Um, both Leanne and I uh, belong to the Career Development Institute, which is our professional body, and they have assessed and benchmarked these qualifications. And so they're endorsed by our professional body and the funding is accessed through the Careers and Enterprise Company. So what you have here is a picture of central pockets of support, but a school very much responsible for putting the pieces together and creating a stable careers programme. And we've mentioned the Gatsby benchmarks and we can touch on those. But basically, if you try and adopt these eight Gatsby benchmarks, then you are on your way to providing the careers provision that is required. It's a minimum requirement that the government... So, do you think the Gatsby benchmarks are enough? That's my next question, I suppose. Well, look, sure. Oh, just lost you there. 
think have just lost you their season. I don't know. They, they, they are enough in terms of giving a school an idea of what they're aiming for. They're a very clear framework. And in fact, the Career Development Institute has also provided a framework that maps to Gatsby. So everything sort of begins and ends with these eight clear points. And the background is, you know, we want to be a professionally and, and competitive nation. We want our uh, industries to, to thrive and so Sir John Coleman, back in 2013, looked at the Netherlands and Germany, Hong Kong, Finland, Canada and Ireland. And he said, look, what does careers guidance look like good? What is international careers guidance going? Why are we not as good? What, what is happening? And basically he came back with these eight benchmarks. Now, it covers all the aspects. It's asking students to reflect a stable careers programme. A school can't just no longer stick a careers advisor in a cupboard and shut the door and say, right, great, our, our kids are organised. It's it's positioning careers now at the heart where everybody, parents, teachers, um, governors are all responsible for this sense that students have to grow and learn and develop. The, the, the curriculum has to be sequenced. It has to build on knowledge and skills. In the same way that you would for a history subject, it's the same for careers education. It's like a subject. Some schools are addressing it by creating subject leaders and, and, a, and a, an actual subject that's being taught in the school. But a stable careers programme, learning from career and labour market information, a lot of um, salaries and jobs of the future and growth, who knows that? It can't just be one person who comes in once a week. Teachers need to be aware of what's happening in their subject areas. Um, addressing the needs of each student is number three. Linking curriculum, learning to careers. Now, this is the kicker. It's a hard one. And they're still trying to figure it out in universities with the employability agenda. But teaching history should not be in isolation. If you're asking a student to undertake a local project, surely there's first primary resources, secondary sources. You know, you can be linking to archivists, librarians, local museums. How are you researching your information? There's a lot of jobs happening within that one task or one homework piece. And it's about thinking smartly. You know, mm. encounters with employers and employees that we're not going to get away with this anymore. The Baker Clause is imminent. It's there. It's happened. Schools are being penalised. Experiences of workplaces, encounters with further and higher education and personal guidance. So this is this is the things you need in place. And so therefore, a typical careers programme. OK, and this is this is unheard of, but so brilliant. Right from year seven, key stage three. Right, year seven, every year, you need to have a meaningful experience with an employer every year. Um, every um, by the key end of key stage four, you must have had a one to one guidance appointment with a qualified professional. In key stage five, that would be two. You must have a clear understanding of what programs available to you and, and what that looks like. You need to know the records being kept. Stereotypical career thinking needs to be addressed and evidence needs to be shown of how that's been done. And an interesting one as well is about keeping data and looking at destinations and understanding where our students are going. And I think that is going to be a massive area with the skills for jobs and looking at the office for students and saying, look, we need to understand how we measure impact from the Baker Clause from careers guidance. And again, let me be clear, Tom, the Baker Clause is not careers guidance. No. The Baker and spoken to 
Have you have you lost me? No, you're back. Okay. Oh, oh my goodness, that's 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 the radio going right, love. Take a breath. But yeah, uh, so Baker Clause is not careers guidance. Baker Clause is conditions. Careers guidance is a different. It's counselling. It's understanding your options. It's making sense of all the information coming at you. But yes, um, I'm afraid it's it's. It's hard for schools, but it's going to be so much better for pupils, for their um, engagement rates, their motivation to ensure lack of dropout rates when they go on to college or university. To you know, It's going to make our economy and our um, young people feel much better about their choices and much more engaged with their own career journey rather than it being something that's done to them or completely ignored. There's really, really good, really, really good outline there of the Gatsby benchmarks and what they mean. Really big thank you there, Susan. But of course, Leanne, they're not statutory. Hmm. Is this a problem? Um, well, that's where I think that's where people need to be convinced. I think sometimes I do understand the schools and so much pressure just to achieve what is statutory. Um, that it can then be seen as something, you know, there's a difference between a should and a must. So something's a must, which Susan has outlined, and then there's some shoulds, <laughs> and they kind of think, okay, how can we get away with that with the most min minimum effort? Not because they don't care about the students, but just because they've got so many other pressures, they, they don't necessarily see the value-added benefit that it brings. Mm -hmm. um, do we have a way of knowing to what extent schools are and aren't achieving the benchmarks on national scale? Yeah, we do actually. I'll have a little look at my, my notes because I don't have terrible at holding statistics in my head. <laughs> so uh, there's something about, it's under half, that's right. So it is actually better than it was. So uh, 2019 to 2020, they achieved on average twice as many benchmarks, which means they were still under half, so 3.75. Uh, so we're getting there, but quite slow. Um, some are easier to achieve than others. So the mm -hmm. personal guidance one is tricky. We'll talk a bit about that. Um, and uh, I don't know whether you want to say anything else about, because actually, Susan, you might have a, a sense of which ones are easier to achieve and which ones are harder. Well, yes. I mean, I think the reality is um, the curriculum learning is very difficult. Uh, I mean, I work in universities as well, and we, you know, we are still struggling to, to find the opportunities to undertake work-related learning in a university context. But... You know, there's a lot can be done when students are doing work experience to to pre, um, you know, to, to like bookmark that before you go out and after you come back. Um, what skills did you see happening? What what were some of the jobs that were around you? What subjects do you think would be helpful for that? But again, it, you know, the curriculum learning, linking careers to curriculum learning, it's not just about jobs. It's about that reflective piece and understanding the roles um, that, that are out there, you know, if you enjoy history, you know, as I say, archivist, museum curator, uh, if you enjoy, like, there was a, a really great example of a, of a school down uh, in the um, southeast of England who had a police officer wanted to come in and do a talk. So they got, they got um, the photography department involved and they did this um, 
kind of fake CSI type thing where they had a crime to solve and there was photographs taken and, you know, and it linked to forensic analysis. It, it, you know, it's, it's when you've got to get these education experiences and employer experiences in, it forces you to think more creatively about how you're going to do it. So I think four is hard. I think the work experience is difficult. So every student needs to have an employer interaction from year seven. Now, for year seven, year eight, that could be a talk in an assembly room, just meeting an employer, hearing about their job and, and working with employer to draw out the skills. But by year 10, year 11, they really want to be doing a proper piece of work experience and they certainly need that again So in, in key stage five and sixth form. So at the school I worked at, we, did, um, we didn't have the resources to manage a whole week's work experience. But what we did do was we did work shadowing um, and we did we focused our work experience more in year 12. But for year 10 students who um, were needing more support, like again, looking at disadvantaged social mobility, then we worked in curriculum on different projects that saw those students going out once or twice a week. So it, it's about working with teachers in subject areas, I think. But I would say that... The benchmarks, whilst they're not a must, if you're going to really get to the nub of what careers is, they're the only kind of obvious map and there's so much support. There's case studies, careers and enterprise company, you know, with the skills for jobs, there's going to have to be careers hubs there staying and the careers enterprise company are responsible for those careers hubs and working with employers. So all the checks and balances are in place and it just is taking that training and starting the journey and seeing, you'll be surprised the support's available. That's what I would say. There is a lot of support available once you start the journey. Interesting. Thank you. Um, we've got Veronica, who's live listening in South Africa. So very good evening to you, Veronica. Um, would love to know what the state of plays with careers education in South Africa as well. Um, thank you to everybody who's continuing to listen in on your evening, on your Friday evening. It is currently half, just gone half ten. So here's what we're going to do. We're halfway through. We're going to take a short break. Don't go anywhere because we're going to hear... Um, the latest education news and a word from our sponsors as well um, and then after that um, we're going to talk a little bit more about personal guidance so I just need to see if I can find the news and then we will play it let's go do, 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 do. and I'm going to just put some fill talk some filler things in because anybody who's hosted a show knows it's very difficult to navigate the sidebar right here we go let's go see don't go anywhere This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. 
book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot UK. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Schools Climate Education South Yorkshire will host its second climate conference this year. It is a free event and will feature Henry Firth and Ian Thesby, the world-renowned vegan chef duo Bosch, food upcycling organisation Foodworks and a science workshop from Amaze Lab. The event will run from the 1st to the 3rd of March and will include live and pre-recorded virtual sessions aimed at teachers and students of all ages. Coordinator Richard Souter said that Schools Climate Education South Yorkshire was set up in response to the climate crisis and the inadequate progress being made in combating it. We hope these conferences are the start of a journey for staff and young people in doing what they can within their schools and communities to both promote and advocate for change. Rafia Hussein, a secondary teacher in Sheffield, who was involved in the conference last year, said, It got the environment ball rolling in my school. We were able to self-reflect as a school and think about what we can do both individually and collectively. It certainly raised awareness. Steve Chalk, founder of the Oasis Academy Trust, has warned that the lifting of COVID restrictions in England will lead to a further rise in homeschooling. Mr Chalk said, I think it will become a forced form of exclusion for those who are vulnerable, those immunosuppressed children and staff who are put at increased risk. Also staff who are living with their own immunosuppressed children. I think we will see a group of children turning away from education. It will lead to a further rise in home education. It can be a route for those who are worried or scared. All of this will play together in some unhelpful ways. The gamble, in my mind, is that attendance among many of the most vulnerable stops or goes down, so it becomes a form of exclusion. Removing the requirement for positive cases to self-isolate puts them all at increased risk. Councils in England reported in November that there had been a 34% jump 
in the number of parents choosing to take their children out of school to teach them at home. The DfE is also concerned about attendance, which stood at 86.2% in secondary schools on the 3rd of February, while pre-COVID it would be about 95%. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, today I'm responding to a tweet from Michelle Stevens at M underscore Stevens Zero, pointing out to at Team English One that a lot of people don't know about the snipping tool, and she was compiling a list of shortcuts. The thread sparked a lot of fantastic responses and inspired today's Two Minute Tech. Today I present Getting Snippy With It. In Windows, a simple shortcut combo of Windows plus Shift plus S opens the snipping tool. The snipping tool is like an advanced version of print screen. After the combo key press, a small menu appears giving you five options. Rectangle select, which is draw a box around what you want. Freeform select, which is draw a shape around what you want. Window select, which is pick the window you want to capture. Screen select, which captures the full screen or replication of the print screen button. Some may say there's no point to this, but stay tuned. There is. Finally, there's a cross to close and pressing escape can do the same thing. If you have an interactive board, you can pin snip and sketch to your taskbar. Right click the icon and select pin to taskbar. Now you can press it to make screen grabs and not have to go over to the keyboard. Snip and Sketch also gives you the ability to annotate on a screenshot. To make this even more powerful, did you know pressing Windows and V shows your last 25 captures to your clipboard? The first time you use this, you'll need to switch on the feature by pressing Windows and V and agreeing to switch it on. Now you can take several screen captures and then paste them into the app you're presenting with. This can be very time efficient. For this week's visual version of the episode, I've made a series of clips and given some real life examples of using the snipping tool. So don't forget to check out TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. I do love the snipping tool. I think it's very important that more teachers know about the snipping tool. Welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. It is 10.38pm. It is Friday night. It's the 25th of February. Now, I could have been at Bingo Loco at Prism in Nottingham, which is apparently some sort of bingo combined with raving. Um, But now I'm here tonight on the Late Late Show, the show that's so good with they named it twice and i'm here with leanne hamley co-author of creative career coaching and i'm joined by susan smith from all things careers who've been absolutely fantastic so far and given us a really knowledgeable and comprehensive guide to the state of careers education in england and of course in wales scotland and northern ireland um i want to zoom in now on benchmark eight and i want to start with leanne here personal guide which from anybody I've spoken to with a sort of with a stake in careers education benchmark eight has sounded like the one which is most difficult to actually achieve so what does personal guidance actually look like what sort of things are discussed as part of this personal guidance um Leanne start us off please and first of all I would say Tom I love the snipping tool too (laughs) (laughs) Um, I only discovered it a few months ago, but it's great. Okay, so um, yes, you said about the home nation. So personal guidance is a term that's only used in England. So elsewhere, it's just known as career guidance. Um, And 
it's, it's, it's interesting because the word itself sometimes doesn't help because it sounds like guidance, which means something telling people what to do. And in fact, we never do that. A professionally qualified career practitioner would never tell somebody what they think they ought to do. It actually goes against our ethical practice. Um, what we do help do is help people reach the best decision for them. And how we do that is really quite complicated. It's much more, people think often it's giving information or it's just matching interests to the jobs out there because every individual is different. So you might get six young people that want to be accountants or nursery nurses, uh, but the reasons why they want to do that, the influences, how they feel about it is going to vary. And that's what we're really about. It's about trying to understand that individual's story um, and getting some of them to talk is <laughs> sometimes quite a, mm. a, a, a task, but it's, it's do you know what? it's a real gift because there's something wonderful about seeing a young person who's quiet and who's unsure and you might even feel a little bit anxious in that session uh, using tools and techniques that put them at their ease and get them to talk and really get them to flourish and start to investigate what matters most to them and helping them make sense of all the different conflicting advice and information they're given and the pressures and the expectations and some of the, I mean, a lot of it is about assumptions and myths that they've picked up from their peers or from parents. And so they're thinking they ought to do something rather than they really want to. Uh, and the other thing is, is that they are selecting from such a small field of what they've been introduced to. Uh, and so we're trying to encourage their curiosity um, and their optimism. So we do a lot of investigating their mindset their decision-making, their sense of self. And that's why you mm. need more than 20 minutes. So we've talked about <laughs> the impact. Why is it difficult to think? Well, because it's expensive. Um, because it requires a professionally qualified career practitioner, uh, highly trained, highly experienced. And because the money's not there, um, schools are struggling to afford it. So quite often they might offer low salary. And that means they might get somebody who stays a year or they might struggle to recruit at all uh, because there's now a shortage. Um, there's not a shortage. I mean, where people will pay and offer a good, decent, decent sort of uh, contracts and conditions, then they can recruit, but otherwise they won't be able to. Um, and as I said, they might do short-term, people will move on. So it's, it, that's where the investment is required. Uh, but it also requires people to think creatively because not everybody needs the same kind of service. So this kind of blanket, everybody getting the same tick box approach, mm. you know, it's thinking we can have clinic sessions, we can have small groups, we can have drop-ins, um, and then we can have longer ones, shorter sessions, um, and some people can have more than one. So we, we have this difference in a light touch and then a more in-depth and trying to identify who needs what is another task, but, uh, you know, it's a mixture of student self-referral, tutor referral, uh, spotting the ones who are most at risk. So everybody's mm -hmm. offered the same, but actually then what they might take up and use might be different. So thinking creatively about this is a precious resource. Don't use it just for giving information. That can be, you know, we're making more use of podcasts and videos and preparing them through videos and making sure that that one-to-one -one is very personal, where the young person is doing most of the talking. 
um, where we use creative techniques, motivational techniques, decision-making techniques. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Do you know what I mean? I love working with young people on a one-to-one. They constantly surprise me. Uh, they delight me. They quite often move me to tears. <laughs> mm. I've got to try not to cry too much. Might do it afterwards. But just because they are desperate for somebody to listen and understand them mm. and to help them make sense of what's happening. Definitely. The sort of things you describe there, it's definitely about equity rather than equality. And certainly mm. I appreciate the point there about sort of maybe, yes, having a base level, but then, you know, extending that beyond for those who truly need it. Um, so Absolutely. thank you. For, thank you for that really interesting insight there. I mean, Leanne, can you tell us about an example when a student really made you think or made you feel quite emotional in in this example it could be a historic example obviously keep it confident keep it um what's the word i'm looking for anonymous but can you think of an example oh gosh i can think of so many um some sort of quite dramatic and some quite simple um so somewhere you know I mean, even, even just a few weeks ago i had this young man and the feedback i had it was just in passing where i just he was telling me about what he was feeling and thinking and um, and I just said to him, Joe, that's quite wise. <laughs> and I heard later that he, he came back and said, nobody's ever called me wise before. <laughs> it's like those little boosts, do you know what I mean? That, um, and the, the, quite often it is about motivation where they might think it's a long way off. Um, and they've got a lot of pressures. And, you know, I, I say to them, well, just tell me what's going on. They tell you about the homework and the tests and the exams and... Career seems quite low down. And remember, careers isn't just jobs. Just making a decision for the next year seems low down on the priority. Mm. And so I just empathise with that. The key thing is to always empathise, understand. And then sort of said, well, just imagine this time next term, you know, in, in the autumn, you're doing those exams. You've got those mocks. What does it feel like? What's going on? You know, and he said, well, I feel really stressed thinking about it. I said, well, now imagine having another issue, which is trying to fill in your application forms for college and not knowing what you want to do. And he just said, oh, I don't want to be in that situation. Um, and right there, he said, no, I'm, I do need to start thinking now um, and put more effort in. And the feedback I got about him, and this did move me, was that he'd gone home, put his action plan up on a board and put started this mapping of all the, the stuff he needed to do and how he was going to research. And that was really using that sort of visioning technique to get him to feel what it would be like further down the line if he didn't put effort in. Um, but then I'm just amazed when I get the feedback, you know, that his mum said, gosh, he's, he's put it up on the board and created this kind of map of what he's doing. And that's when you know you've had an impact. Mm. doesn't it i mean it just it just sort of makes my spine tingle and things like that because i mean for us as teachers it's exactly the same knowing we can we can be that person we can be the person who makes that difference um to you know a young person um Chris, Kristen d has um texted and said i'm in nottingham we see too much of this with undergraduates at a university despite all the good work taking place yeah um 
yeah, it's an it's an interesting one at the moment, and certainly I can think of people I went to university with who were just sort of lost, and I, you know, and as a, somebody a year nine form tutor, um, I've been guiding my tutees through their options pathways process um, for GCSE options, and as a school we allow students as well as obviously core maths english to english and science we allow three option subjects and I, I won't say too much but some students have found it very limiting in terms of what they actually can go on study we offer loads and loads of amazing courses some vocational some more academic more traditional but students have really really struggled and one of the things i've just said to them is well what is it that you're thinking of in the future what what path might you go down on in the future and what choices can you make now which will you know which are informed by that which are the most informed choices um susan anything you wanted to add um, to leanne's points oh well my son's currently in year nine so i i hear you he's doing his gcse options but i think um you know i think it's that you know, rightly or wrongly, schools can feel a bit like a sausage factory and, you know, and if you don't fit the mould and you sort of get churned out. And I, I think that opportunity to stop and reflect and to almost pause and sort of think where I am, where do I want to be, a lot of students don't know what they don't know, right? We, we don't know what we don't know. And I think a careers specialist and, and a careers guidance professional has the ability to ask the right questions, to, to, to really read between the lines and hear what's being said. A, a lot of what we do is help students chunk down what feels overwhelming and help them to see um, the wood for the trees. And, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to, if you think that the decisions you're making are the rest of your life, but if it's maybe just the next step and playing to your strengths and understanding what you look like at your best and what you enjoy, being able to translate what a particular subject um, is for you and what it means for you in terms of potential behaviours and what that might look like in the workplace. Um, and, And we're not there to give information. There's plenty of information sources, but I love that sense of forming a plan of action and then being able to take yourself through those and you know as teachers such a lot of it is listening and and understanding that it can feel very overwhelming but some key questioning and helping students to reflect it's amazing how much they really do know about themselves but they just haven't been given an opportunity to discuss it or to reflect on it so it's it's wonderful to hear how passionate you are about your students Tom well done Mm. No, thank you. And it's always passionate to hear about the incredible work that um, the two of you, you are doing as well. Um, we've got about, we've got, oh, we haven't got long at all, actually. We've got <laughs> nine minutes until I'm supposed to wrap up and I've got to do a little bit of closing stuff. So we've got about five minutes. So we've got five minutes to talk about the Baker Clause and this question of is university everything, to which which the answer is clearly no. But if I, I mean, very, very broadly, um, university education, certainly the new labour, more and more young people going to university, um, the advent of tuition fees, of course, as a way of paying for this, um, at 1,000, then 3,000, then 9,000. But there's been an influx of young people going to university. And we've seen in the news recently this talk about 
students being blocked off from accessing student loans if they don't have GCSE passes in English and maths. Um, be very interested if you're listening live to know what you think about that. Is that something you agree with? If you can text in as well. Um, and actually, this question of is university everything? And are there too many young people going to university? That's quite a controversial question there. Leanne, be very well, interested to know what you yeah. think. Yeah, it is interesting because I know when people say, oh, you know, just keep your options open and delay the decision as long as possible. But, you know, having been a university lecturer, and it's kind of backed up with the statistics, which I'm very happy to provide if anybody wants to link in with me, um, <laughs> that there's a lot of unhappy students, especially in the second year, and it's not what they thought it was going to be. Um, so even in the statutory guidance, it talks about how we've inflated higher education into, at the expense of quality of programmes and outcomes. Um, the idea that it's going to lead on to a, uh, they suddenly realise it's not necessarily going to lead on to a highly skilled job. Uh, it will to some degrees, but not others. Um, and they find that out quite quickly. And a lot of them, I remember when I was teaching in the second year of undergraduates, they would say, you know, we felt we were missold something. Mm. Um, and that's a horrible thing to do to young people. Uh, and it's something like 16% of people wish they'd done something else other than gone to university. Now, we've also got a very high percentage who actually don't think their degree was that essential. Mm. Um, so I still hold out for the love of learning because I love education, I love learning, um, but it's not for everybody and we kind of sell it as the best option. Uh, mm. It's an option and we want to make sure people choose the right option for them. So this is where the Baker Clause comes in. So why does this make the Baker Clause so important? Mm. Well, that is because, you know, we found out that in the FE Weekly Justice, this month, it's under a third of young people haven't been told about the other option. Sorry, only a third have been told. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, actually, it's a big percentage of young people who still think that apprenticeships are lower grade. Uh, they don't understand the level of technical education or apprenticeships that are out there, degree apprenticeships. Um, and when they find out about them, they're quite annoyed, as I would be if I was a young person. Mm. So it's really, it's recognised as being an imbalance in what they're being exposed to, and it's not fair on them. No, very interesting. Thank you. Um, I, of course, came across this news story from 2020, um, which is Ofsted wraps first school over Baker Clause. Um, a school has been wrapped by Ofsted for flouting the Baker Clause as the inspectorate begins to police the controversial rule. Um, Leicestershire-based King Edward V... Chasing my Roman numerals, the King Edward VII Science and Sport College was rated inadequate following inspection in January. Blah, blah, blah. Inspectors found, among other leadership and safeguarding issues, which is ultimately why they'd have been inadequate, that the school was not currently meeting um, not currently meeting its statutory responsibility to ensure that providers of technical qualifications and apprenticeships visit the school to inform pupils about these options. The watchdog said leaders do not make sure that pupils receive independent careers advice, which if you're listening in, you can text it and tell me what benchmark that is, um, which means students do not feel well prepared for their next steps. Ofsted added that leaders must provide pupils with information about what technical education and apprenticeship opportunities are available in accordance with the school's legal obligations under the Baker Clause. So the Baker Clause is clearly statutory and it has been statutory since. Leanne, did you look this one up? <laughs> well, I think I've got um, 
did, and it goes gone out of my head. So, 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 I you know, uh, January 2018. There we go. If the there legislation was 2017, but it right, was it came enacted in 18. It oh. was. Fantastic. So what opportunities can schools take on to meet and exceed the requirements of a Baker clause, Susan? Well, I think I know we've got no time at all. And my goodness, no, no, we could do another whole show. But essentially, it comes down to this. My take on it is... Um, the education system, knowledge test, knowledge test, knowledge test. People are heading off to university to get themselves a bit of breathing space. But my my advice is don't prop up the bar and spend 50 grand for the privilege. Take a dark gear if you need to. Take some breathing space. The, the biggest issue is students are moving away from schools with not really a sense about, they haven't done the thinking they need to, which is why the Gatsby is so important. But the other thing to say is, that when it comes down to it, you know, a lot of sixth forms are under pressure to offer, you know, BTECs as well as A-level. So there's a real mixed bag going on. And, you know, in my last role, I, I literally fell on my sword. I said, you're still heralding university is the only answer. And that is not the situation. That is not ethical. Students need to hear about apprenticeships. They need to hear about degree apprenticeships. They need to understand um you know, what their options are and what suits people best. An average an average salary for a degree apprenticeship now is about £22,000. Mm. Now, if you don't know what you want to do, um, you know, it, it, you know, it, you can you can just decide to work for four years and get a degree and then you've got money to go and do a master's in something you really want to do. Or, you know, the point is that these degree apprenticeships are, are up to people at any particular age. So back to the Baker Clause. The Baker Clause is about ensuring that students are getting access to that information. Now, there are instances of schools clubbing together and offering like a careers fair where they've got further education colleges and they've got um, universities there. UCAS provide con um, 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 uh, conventions. There's also some really good um, Apprenticeships UK offer um in conferences that have universities there as well so it's a it's a significant chunk of budget with a bus but you know but again that on its own without being bookended without proper research going into it and students really understanding what the choices are and what the consequences of their choices are it's just a case of coming off a bus trolling around a few stands picking up some freebie you know highlighters that look good and back on the bus so yeah. it's anything you're doing around the baker clause it has to be embedded and it has to be done well but that in itself is not guidance and i think you know it's it's now what ofsted are picking up on but if you look at a good descriptor you know for ofsted it it says secondary schools prepares pupils for future success they use gatsby benchmarks to develop and improve the education and all pupils receive unbiased information so you know it's a whole set of things but essentially the baker clause is ensuring that students are have access to other training providers now for schools with limited resources it might be a case of trips to colleges but i would club together and, and try and coordinate things within your local um, learning partnership to see if there's anything, or even your local authority career service might be doing something. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, really, really interesting there. And 
thank you so much, Leanne. Thank you, and thank you, Susan, as well, for coming on and being so knowledgeable and so passionate about careers and careers education and career development. Um, absolute pleasure to have you on this evening, and thank you so much for giving up an hour of your time to come and it's share your pleasure, wisdom. Tom, thank you. It is a pleasure. I was going to end on a, a, a bad taste joke, but seeing as you missed the bingo, you could you could say Leanne and I were your two fat ladies. Hey. <laughs> I should point out, even though we've just hit the hour mark, so I should have finished by now. We've got some shows on um, tomorrow. We've got three shows. And actually, there's a bit of a careers theme going on tomorrow as well, because Emma Williams on the Saturday brunch, 11 a.m., is joined by Katie Waldegrave um, from Now Teach and Matthew Booker. They're talking about career changing to become a teacher. So those teachers who did another career, didn't like it, went into teaching. And that's a whole fascinating discussion, which I'm really looking forward to. That's 11 a.m. till 12.30 p.m. Um, Joe Hammond's on at 1 p.m. on the Saturday lunch. He's joined by Lynn Marsh. Um, who's a vocal coach, songwriter, choir leader, music education consultant, music theatre expert and teacher trainer, um, and apparently one of the most prominent songwriters for children and young people in the world. Apparently you've all sung one of her songs at school before. And then at 8pm, it's Mary Akello, who is joined by Dan Wright and Shibnam Ahmed, who are sharing their stories of why they got into teaching. So a bit of that career, teaching as a career focus continues tomorrow. On Sunday, we've got four shows with four hosts. We've got Caleb the Merchant, we've got Khalil Rouse, we've got Kaylee Clark and Christopher Vowles. I always love Christopher Vowles. Dulcet Tones, 8pm on a Sunday. We've got three fantastic hosts to go alongside that as well. Wherever you are, um, wherever you're listening from, have a wonderful weekend. This time next week, of course, it's not me. It's Ed Clark's debut late, late show on a Friday, the graveyard shift, just like me. Um, enjoy the rest of enjoy your weekend when it comes. Not long now. And I'm sure I'll speak to you in the next month or so. Take care. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.